Hello. Hi. Hi, guys. It's Katie and Regina. Welcome to Fruits of Our Labor, episode one. We've been working towards this for over a year, and we've dedicated this first episode to introducing ourselves as individuals and as friends. Our lives are incredibly different from one another, yet in recent years, Katie and I found ourselves having in-depth conversations about our ever-evolving roles in life and relationships and careers, choosing your battles and making hard decisions or having tough conversations. We were taken by how much commonality we still had, regardless of our different situations, and thought that other friends might be having similar conversations. So wouldn't it be a neat idea to document it? We had originally recorded our first episode in person. We had fancy little microphones. We set up camp in my husband's office, and we were truly excited about the chance to have this shared project that gave us an excuse to have to get together, which can be tricky for us with Regina's unconventional work schedule, my role as a mom to four little ones, and the fact that we now live an hour away from each other. Enter a global pandemic that requires social distancing to keep everyone safe and healthy. So here we are recording separately from our own homes, Katie in her closet and me in my basement. We're both so grateful that we can still carry on with this podcast while also keeping in mind that this is a scary time for many of us. We want this to be a welcome escape for you right now, so we're intentionally not dedicating a lot of the episode to pandemic talk, but towards the end of the episode, we do discuss some helpful ideas that we've learned from other smarter people that have helped us, that have helped both of us manage this incredibly tumultuous time. We hope it helps you too. And without further ado, our first episode, Meet the Girls. So, yeah, so some background. Katie and I have been best friends since we were, well, we've been friends since we were six. The best friendship, you know, is an evolution. But um, Katie, why don't you go ahead and just give a quick recap on who you are, where you are in life right now. Okay, so I'll start um, with the, my, my current stats. I'm a mom of four. My oldest is four. (laughs) which is hilarious um she will she's my only daughter she will be five in june starting kindergarten in the fall in some capacity if we're back at schools at that point um i got married in 2016 so anyone who's really good at mental math um will realize that my daughter was 10 months old, eight months old, no, 10 months old at my wedding. Out of womb. At, yes, <laughs> she, right. Then, um, because the universe really wanted to laugh in my face. Um, so we got, my husband and I, we, we got pregnant with my daughter. Um, we, I sat in the bathroom and before we left the bathroom, I peed on another stick to prove to him that, you know, I really am pregnant. He peed on a stick to make sure that he wasn't also pregnant. (laughs) Um, 
Then he cracked open a beer, sat on the bathtub. We had names picked out and he was like, all right, well, you know, that's it. We're going to, we're going to get married and everything's going to be fine. And we went out to dinner and Regina met us and it was a, a very scary, but not really scary. Um, it was uncharted territory for me. Um, but what you didn't witness was that when you got up to go to the bathroom, I stuck my finger in his face and I said, Stephen Barbieri, do not even think about marrying that woman if you're not deadly serious about it. He said, no, don't worry. I was planning. I was going to propose the whole time. I was like, all right, you've been so warned. The, <laughs> the funny thing about that story is when you started telling me, I 100% imagined you telling me I stuck my finger in his face and I said, you better marry her <laughs> and when you told me that version I was like wait a second hey but also it's like I feel like it's such a defining moment in our friendship because you would rather me be a single mom than be in like a bad marriage a hundred percent right and the thing is I did not have that headspace right now I was like dear god he better marry me because <laughs> like I no, sir um <laughs> Anyway, so I'm glad you cleared that up. Um, and I'm really, I'm so glad that you were that friend in that moment. Um, and anyway, so I, uh, you know, raised, raised Catholic, went to church every Sunday in um, Catholic school and the whole nine yards. And here I am and unwed mother. Um, so anyway, I decided the jig is up. People are going to do the math. I'm not rushing down the aisle. I'm also a teacher. Um, so I, the last thing I wanted to do in the, and this was in October, the last thing I wanted to do at any point during the school year, but especially in the beginning of the school year, was start to plan a rushed wedding. When again, people would do the math and know I was pregnant and I wanted to be able to drink champagne at my wedding. But... So Right. I was like, that's so silly. I'm not going to do that. We're going to have the baby. I will have a, I'll have a wedding and she'll be there and it'll be adorable. You know, like I already was on Pinterest seeing like, um, daddy, here comes mommy, like being wheeled down, um, in a wagon and it's so cute. It'll be great. And I'm not worried about it. And then I got pregnant before my wedding again. <laughs> so I was unbeknownst to many, but I think actually unbeknownst to far fewer than I thought. Um, I think most people actually knew I was pregnant and were just being nice and pretending to not notice. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I was five months pregnant. Um, which you didn't look uh, under your big poofy cupcake dress. Right. Thankfully I picked out the right dress, which was pure coincidence. I picked out that dress before I was pregnant. Um, but, um, and it was shout out to my mother-in-law. Um, she picked it out for me and I would have never put it on if she hadn't said, Oh, just, just humor me and put it on. And it was the winner by far. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, then, um, woke up, um, married to the love of my life, five months pregnant with our second child and, um, instant family. That, and right. Yeah. Exactly. We we did things a little out of order, but I I really I remember the because I had to um I think the, the only thing I struggled with when I got pregnant not once again but twice before I got married um was how um the I I won't call it shame because I really don't think I felt a lot of shame, but what I did feel was um oh my god, 
people are going to think I'm a disaster of a human, like that I really, A, either don't know how this works, which is what my mother asked me when I told her we were pregnant the second time, um, whether I understood the birds and the bees, and if she failed me in that. <laughs> and then you reminded her that you were very, very Irish-American marrying a very, very Italian-American. <laughs> right, exactly. Yep. Um, and so then, uh, um, but I, I felt like people are going to be like, oh my gosh, like who does that? You know how the people in like, in the, that show, like I didn't know I was pregnant or whatever the name of the show is. Yeah. I, I felt like I thought I had gas and then I had a baby. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) For the record, can I tell you after having four kids, if I was able to get through a pregnancy and not notice I would be ecstatic. <laughs> like it would be just the best. <laughs> you um, should try it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, I'll just take a, a moment to sip my wine. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was, I did have a moment again, not really of shame, but more like, Oh my God, people must think that I am just such a mess of a person. Um, so anyway, but I also, I also have friends that struggle with infertility. And so I, as much as I wanted to like start cracking jokes about like, oh yeah, you know, fertile Franny over here. I also never wanted it to seem like I was burdened with it. Yeah. Um, or flaunting and, it. Right. Yeah. Because not that I was flaunting it, but like just more so I, I didn't want to be the person to walk into a room and be like, oh God, I know I'm pregnant again. When I know so many people that would love to be pregnant for the first time yeah I think that's also because you are you have always been so authentically excited to be pregnant and you're such a happy and good mom it would be weird for you to come across as burdened by yes yeah so it was it was definitely was it's a delicate balance that I still I still find myself because I mean it's I feel like it's typical human instinct to try to get ahead of the joke like Mm. if you make the joke it's okay you know, like, yeah. Um, and so as much as I try to, like, I, I try to walk the line of making the joke, but not making it seem like I'm anything but incredibly grateful to have the children that I have. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so tell us then, about the other two. <laughs> so, right. So then, um, I think, um, you know, I really wanted to make sure that we had, uh, legitimate children as well. <laughs> and so, so we had two more because I needed them to be equal teams. So, you know, two conceived before marriage and two conceived after. Um, cause I was already imagining like in horrible insults being thrown at, uh, the, at their siblings, uh, as they get older. Um, so yeah, so we have Anna is my oldest and then we have TJ, uh, who is three. Um, then we have Joey just turned two. He's the also known as the house pet right now. <laughs> um, truly acts like a dog and a cat as much as possible. Encouraged by his older siblings. And then I have my little Sammy, who is three months old and is just an incredibly happy baby watching the chaos in my house. And so- one day when we have an episode about relationships, we can tell everyone the long list of nicknames that your husband has come up for all of these children pre-birth and post-birth oh my god yeah (laughs) there's so many tangents that I could 
that we could go into right now, but I don't want this to be a three hour long podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the other background uh, that I think is important, I already briefly mentioned it, but I, my first passion, um, and I would argue it still is my passion, um, is teaching. And uh, I taught fourth and fifth grade for 10 years before I stayed home when my third child was born. So that would be Joey. I feel incredibly fortunate that I'm able to stay home. There are a lot of things I miss about the classroom and there are a lot of things I don't miss about being a working mom. I definitely have bad days as a stay-at-home mom, but I was not very good at keeping my priorities in line when I was in the classroom because for so long that was my only priority. I had a very hard time ending the day at 4.30, 5 o'clock, whatever, and saying, okay, that's good enough, and going home to be with my kiddos. I was staying until the absolute last second that I could in order to get to daycare on time. And then I wasn't picking my kids up from daycare until what should have been dinner time. And it was every day. And I wasn't feeling like I was being a successful teacher. And I certainly wasn't feeling like I was being a successful mom. And um, I say kind of thankfully because it helped make the decision easier. But we would have had three in daycare. And my salary would have completely gone to daycare. Uh, So I am fortunate enough that for the time being, I, we have the means for me to stay at home um, with the kids. And I'm incredibly grateful. Again, not that there aren't struggles for stay at home moms. That'll be a whole other episode. But um, these are the struggles that I'm comfortable with. I was not comfortable with this struggle of feeling like a failure in my home and my profession. So now sometimes if I'm a failure, it's just in one area. (laughs) That's not funny, but I mean, it was the way you said it. it, I know it was meant to be funny and I truly don't, it's, I don't feel like a failure. And it's not to, um, diminish your own struggle with that because I saw it firsthand and I know how hard it was for you but unfortunately it's the reality I can't think of a single friend of mine who has children and who works who feels like they're doing a good job at either task now which is just such a shame Um, because from my perspective y'all are just doing amazing and killing it so I know I think I and I one of the things that I am trying to work on now kind of to get ahead of the game because I will I will eventually be going back to work um, is just to be kinder to myself um, and lower lower the pressure a little bit. Uh, so hopefully I'll be armed with that by the time I go back to work. Um, if not, I'll probably have a nervous breakdown. It'll be fine. Okay, so now that I've brought up nervous breakdowns, uh, let's shift the focus to Regina. So a little bit about what is going on in my life. Um, I am currently living, I say currently as if it's not going to be for the long run, but I, I live in the town 
that Katie and I grew up in, which I have a really hard time saying out loud because I never thought I would live here. Maybe that's um, why you said currently. Cause you're yeah, it's a weird, there's something in my subconscious. Um, yeah. And I, I love it. It's a lovely place to live. Um, I am going on almost 10 years of marriage with my amazing husband. Um, we love you, Jay. We love you, Jay. Um, so we have a very, dramatic and long story I'll try to just give the highlights but uh, Katie and I one of our many adventures was studying abroad together when we were juniors in college and during that time I had never had a boyfriend I had been on very few dates and people in my life like my sister-in-law Renee kept saying you're gonna go over there and meet your husband and I just kind of rolled my eyes well I did Um, I met Jay we had been there for like three weeks right Katie yeah I mean Um, Yes. Yeah. So we, yeah, by, by his birthday, which is Valentine's day, you were already like full on in a relationship. We were going steady. Yeah. Yeah. And we, oh, sorry to give, to give a frame of reference. We landed in the airport at Shannon, um, it new year's Eve morning. Yeah. Right. Yes. We, yeah. Um, so, so from January 1st, so a month and a half later, she was in a very serious relationship and I was just beside myself with excitement. Yeah, it was pretty cute. So it didn't feel serious. We dated with every intention to, you know, break up when I left and that didn't happen. Um, so Jay ended up moving to the States about a year and a half after we came home from our study abroad experience. So we dated for, I guess, five months, four months, four and a half months in Ireland and then came home and then he came over a year and a half later and lived with did my you guys cousin. see each other at did you see each other at all yes I went over for about a month that following Christmas okay I couldn't remember I thought there was a Christmas visit but I couldn't remember if you went home or he yeah went. so it was right after I graduated college because I graduated also I just called early. Ireland home <laughs> yeah it was the December after so anyway okay. Jay was living and working outside of Washington D.C. Um, and then he was diagnosed with cancer, which is crazy. He's fine now. Everything's fine. Um, he ended up going home for treatment. Um, after his surgery, I went there, I went back and I was there with him for about a month. And then during that month's time period, we were trying to decide, okay, what's the next step? Do we want to do a fiance visa? Do we want to do like another work visa? All of these expensive and very time-consuming visa processes were, to me, just a big roadblock. And I said, look, I know I want to marry you. Like, let's just do it. Assuming that he felt the same way. And luckily he did. He was like, all right. So he came back that following June. And then we got married 10 years ago, almost 10, nine and a half years ago. Um, at our August high- 7th? Is that your August way? 7th, yep. Um, at our high school chapel and then had our reception in my parents' backyard. And it was a very quaint, teeny it, tiny little affair. It was perfect. It was perfect. It was truly perfect in every way. It was really good. Was- uh, my friends who all got married after me said, looking back on my wedding, they were like, man, you broke the system. You won the game. Like you didn't have to deal with any of the venues. I didn't have a bridal party. Basically I told people if they were there, they can consider themselves my bridesmaids. Yes. Um, And it was just really intimate. And luckily Jay's immediate family was able to come over for the ceremony and it was a magical, magical time. So after that, um, 
you know, Jay had to go through the whole citizenship process, got his work visa. We ended up moving to Baltimore, which we loved. We were there for about four and a half, five years. Um, I was working up there, worked in a nonprofit, then did sales for a little while, all in the wine industry. And I followed uh, Baltimore. <laughs> yes. Katie moved up to Baltimore with us. She was six houses down. On- yeah. <laughs> On Bolton Street. I love how we're like, we we lead such different lives. And yet, (laughs) I moved six doors down from you. (laughs) Um, So then after we were there for about four and a half, five years, and we realized that we really needed to save some money to buy a house. So we moved home with mom and dad. Um, Thank God my parents are awesome roommates and super generous. And so they let us live with them for a little while to save some money. Um, and then we bought a house about a mile away from my parents. Um, while we were living there, that's when I got my most recent job, which I've been at for four years, working at a beautiful farm um, with a 16-acre vineyard and winery. And um, that's been really my baby and my passion project for the past four years is um, helping to get that business off the ground. And I am just like madly in love with my work and I love it. So that is what I am doing. We have no children, which is not because um, we can't. We we don't know that we can't, but or not because we um, have been trying and it's not working. But it's just been a it's been a conscious decision um, over a few years and a lot of uh, open dialogue and closed dialogue and <laughs> good talks and hard talks and ultimately we're leaning towards not having children. Um, which feels very vulnerable to say out loud, but also very empowering because um, it's not really something people talk about in a public forum. Um, but no. that's where we are. And so re-envisioning life without children has been an interesting process and something we can get into more down the line. Um, I was going to say that definitely needs to be a future podcast, not yeah. necessarily you spilling your soul, um, but or you can totally spill your soul. I'm here for it. But um I think, and I think it's getting better now that it's not necessarily like people are whispering behind, you know, a couple's back like, oh, why haven't they had kids or whatever. Um, I think, I think it's getting better. It's less of an expectation, but. um, Yeah. But just the sheer fact that I had to say, like, you know, it's not because we think we're infertile. Like I have to justify it, which is so screwed up. I know. Well. Well, I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I agree. I think the expectation that a couple has to have kids or has to try to have kids is very outdated. Um, And one of the things that I think our generation is moving past for sure. Yeah. Um, Thank goodness. And I will also say that I, I try to give the benefit of the doubt that most people um are well-intentioned and don't even realize how harmful the rhetoric of like well why aren't you having kids is yeah uh or even worse when are you having kids right not even giving you the option just (laughs) when when is it happening your you know your clock is ticking and all of that 
um, I just got ahead of that and no one was ever able to ask me. Yeah, there you go again, beating everybody else to the punch and making a joke before they can. (laughs) Talk about a defense mechanism. (laughs) Where'd you learn that? Middle school? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I learned it young and I learned it good. Um, so that is pretty much what's happening in my life in a nutshell. I feel super um, fulfilled as an aunt. I have amazing nieces and nephews, both biological and via love um, and relationships. And yeah, friendships my, my, my... Kids, my kids call you Aunt Regina. Yep. So, yeah. So we have a really fun life. Um, Jay and I are getting used to our version of the COVID-19 quarantine, which means I work um, five to six days a week and Jay isn't working. And so he's cooking me dinner and taking care of our dog. Oh, I didn't talk about my dog, but okay, I don't think she's listening. She's a highlight of my life and you'll hear her reference to her, her quite a bit. Her name's Cricket and she's nine pounds and she's a mutt and she's the coolest and most demanding, like from a presence and personality perspective, but we love her for it. So yeah, that's me. So that is our current situations. And uh, now we will do a, as quick a version as we can of the 20 years prior to where we're currently at. So it all started in Girl Scouts. We were in Brownies. We were both six. And we met and definitely became friends, but that was the only way. Well, that's not true. That wasn't the only connection we had. Our, we, our families also went to the same church. And so we, and my dad was an insurance agent and your dad, your parents were his clients. Yes, exactly. So that's true. We, we had several, several connections what we did not have is we were not in school together yes but Um, I can remember being very little and my dad saying come on Regina we got to go pick up a check from the Logue's house your friend Katie who you're in Girl Scouts with it's her family and we got your house and your mom had she made dinner for us and then we went downstairs and played in your basement with your dad wow there's a fireplace and I think brown carpet Oh, there was a hundred percent brown shag carpet. <laughs> a thousand percent. That That's was- like one of my first memories of you. That is amazing. I feel bad that I don't remember that at all. It's okay. Um, I'm sure I- you remember things about uh, our friendship that I don't remember. Well, my first blog post is really one of the strongest, earliest memories of us. The baseball um, night when we went to baseball and it's so funny because that memory just came at me like a freight train. And I had not thought of that in years. Yeah. That was a good one. It just, do you remember that the way I remember it? Yes. Okay. I meant to run that by you and be like, am I, am I crazy? Like, have I made up this memory in my head or, you know, like adjusted it as I, grew up and so I'm glad I'm glad I have your reassurance that it did actually happen people should go look at the website and read the blog if they want to but the gist of the story we're referencing is that we were at a Orioles game in Baltimore and we were going to get cotton candy and a a ball came a fly ball came flying in my mouth it was a foul ball a foul ball whatever (laughs) you baseball people um fly ball 
<laughs> it came barreling towards Katie's like 12 year old head and I pushed her out of the way and it didn't hit her and then we like kind of stared at each other for a while and... yeah we I think we got our cotton candy oh and, I'm and, sure and then but like I don't I feel like we I I remember just kind of walking back to the seat in stunned silence yeah yeah <laughs> that I was still alive yeah um, and I yeah I quickly took credit for saving your life and <laughs> as you do. should <laughs> yeah so anyway funny funny little memories like that growing up Right. So then um, we we were not in school together until high school. But before then, we got closer and closer in Girl Scouts. Uh, one of our turning points, I don't know, I don't think this was quite when we entered best friendship. But we were probably in middle, early middle school, or maybe, I don't know, maybe like nine or 10 when we went on a camping trip and it, our moms, neither of our mothers were coming with us this trip. And we were going to be bunking together in the same tent. And so we went over to my family, went over to your family's house for our barbecue. And you and I, our moms wanted to make sure that we were going to be able to set up a tent. And so we, you and I set up this tent, a mock, I mean, it was a real tent, but we had like a pretend set up. Um, or practice run rather. And so then we bunched together in a tent. And so it was just, it, our friendship very organically just became closer and closer. Um, and we'll get into this perhaps in another episode, but I was very much bullied at my school starting around like fourth or fifth grade. And at that same point in my life, I did start to become closer and closer with you, which was helpful uh, in so many ways, because I, at least I knew I had one good friend and, um, that's so nice. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's like... I, yeah. I guess I was, I, I, I just, I talk about it so matter of factly because I've just distanced myself so much from it at this point. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, um, so yeah. Uh, I mean, I would be a very, I would probably be a much more broken person if, the only experiences I had were the quote friendships I had in um, middle school. Totally. At school, specifically at my own school. And um, before we, before we talk about how we got close, even closer once we were in high school, because I would say solid, I would say solidly that before we got to high school, we, we were best friends. I I put it in the middle school range. Yes. That's when it's like, my memories start to very much just stream together into one large experience rather than like sporadic instances here and there. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I really wanted to bring up um, is, and I, I do not remember exactly where I heard this from most of the, any sort of life advice you will hear me spew on this podcast is not my own. I am simply regurgitating anecdotes or ideas that I have heard from much wiser people. Um, So this, I could attribute this possibly to Glennon Doyle. I just don't remember it. I also wouldn't be surprised if it came from Christina Kuzmich, who's also like a mommy vlogger, um, which I feel like is kind of an understatement for what she is, but that's, we can leave it at that for now. But when you and I were friends, you had grown up. I mean, your parents were friends far before you were in the picture. 
with Caitlin and Colleen. Mm -hmm. And so you were practically cut. I mean, really cousins. Like you acted, you acted like cousins would act. And I mean, spent so much time together. And one of the things that we talk about in why we have such a strong friendship is that, you know, we're not, we're not possessive uh, and that we have this kind of like, we have an open relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the metaphor that I, again, possibly got from Glennon Doyle, but I'm not hundred percent positive. is just um, both literally when you are standing in a group of people and figuratively, when you are in a friendship to stand in a horseshoe, meaning you're not in a circle as in there's like this exclusivity to it. And you always leave a spot open for someone to enter the conversation yes, or to enter the relationship. And so I think you and I very much continue to have that type of friendship. And I am so grateful that I was the beneficiary of that horseshoe with you and Caitlin and Colleen, because you all just let me pop right in there. And other than, sorry, Caitlin, being very intimidated by Caitlin the first time I met her. um, (laughs) Now, I mean, laughing at that because she's one of the most intensely, fiercely loving and loyal people I know. Um, But uh, once I got over being nervous about her uh then also to reference our friend Caitlin is a year older than us which seems like nothing when you're in your 30s but to a 12 year old a 13 year old is you know intimidating right um so anyway uh so because of your horseshoe friendship I was able to step right in and we went to high school as the best of friends and um, we had a a good thing going. Yeah, we really, it was so fun. I can remember applying to our high school because we went to a private high school, going through the application process and being so relieved that I knew someone else who would be there. You know, there were a handful of kids from our middle school, my middle school who were going, but to know Katie was going to be there was so exciting. And luckily we have continued to have lots of adventures and also separate enough lives in high school. Like we did different yeah. things. We had different groups of friends, but um... Do you remember the first day I, we, we went to our freshman orientation together and I don't remember who picked up who, obviously we weren't driving yet because we were only 14, but well, you were, I was 13. Yes. Uh, Cause again, you're younger than me. <laughs> um, so much younger than me. All those four slash eight months. Um, <laughs> Depends how you think about it. <laughs> Um, uh, sorry, we'll try not to do a million inside jokes here, but we're not going to explain that one. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, so I had been in Catholic school my whole life at that point, And I had already been wearing a uniform my whole life. And so I knew how to adjust the Catholic schoolgirl uniform to make it seem like you weren't a nun. And <laughs> I saw you at the door and you, I mean, everything was tucked in perfectly and your skirt was halfway down to your calves. (laughs) And guys, Regina is tall. So like that, it was noticeable. I don't remember this at all. Thank God. I remember. And it's not like I, 
my memory is probably making it seem like it was like a Grease style makeover and all of a sudden, you know, like Sandy's walking out with her like leather stuff <laughs> everywhere and her heels and her cigarettes. It wasn't like that. But I more so looked at you and was like, get in the bathroom now. I, I was like, <laughs> so here's the thing. I know how to work with this. Let me help you. <laughs> And I remember explaining to you exactly how to roll your skirt so that it wasn't obvious and See, exactly how much you could roll it and it would still be acceptable. But again, yes. you have a skirt hanging halfway down your calves. Thank God, because my my I'm the youngest of four and the old the sister that's closest to me in age was at college. She had right. just started college. And so right. I was living at home with my parents by myself my first day of high school. Right. <laughs> I so yeah so I, I I intervened and thanks Katie you know and which it's so funny because that makes it seem like we were like these badasses in school oh no and, I'm sure you took me from like a zero to a point five. Oh, a hundred percent like need, it, we were not rebellious teenagers in the slightest but Bass I wasn't gonna yourself. let us go that far um yeah that's so funny so but high school about is... college well we are we already mentioned the studying abroad yeah so we graduated high school we went to different colleges in the same state and then studied abroad for one semester so and we lived together when we studied abroad it yes. was the two of us and two boys that we just were randomly placed with and um, fell madly in love with on a platonic level a hundred percent yeah and they're they're um, like our brothers still well i mean i wouldn't have married steven if I didn't know Sean. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is true. So, uh, college is a part. And then, so Katie graduated on time, which is very um, consistent with her personality. I, but I was also an education major, and it it's the way it's set up. It's just because of your schedule. I, basically, I, I don't take any special credit for doing that. That's. Meanwhile, I didn't declare my major until second semester of my junior year when we were in a different country. But that's okay. It only took me an extra semester to graduate, which is very consistent with my personality. Um, But we graduated college and then started our professional lives. And then not very long after I got married, um, you know, we lived it. We had that stint in Baltimore together. Um, Katie was my maid of honor. And then I was her maid of honor. Yeah. Um, the other really important thing to note is that during college, I won the game and made my home best friends and my college best friends become one mega group of best friends. The ultimate horseshoe. Yes. And so that was really amazing because now Katie and I still currently share several very very good friends and so yes our lives are very interconnected to the extent that they can be with all of us being at least an hour and some much further away right right so yeah I feel like we did it that's that's the story yeah and then and we've already gone over where we are now so Mm -hmm. um Okay, sorry about the break. Um, I had to go get a screaming three-month-old, and he's now nursing. So if you hear, you know, grunts or um, slurps or whatever, it's, you know, just 
me nursing my baby while recording a podcast. <laughs> no big deal. Nothing to see here. <laughs> uh, thank God there's nothing to see here. And this is all audio. <laughs> because I am currently sitting on my bedroom, in my bedroom closet with a now empty glass of wine on the floor um, and a baby on my boob. <laughs> so it's a cute look. <laughs> so I wanted to wrap up our podcast with a question. And considering it's our first episode, I thought it would be important to talk about the podcast's Uh, that we're listening to right now because clearly we wouldn't be making a podcast if we weren't inspired by other podcasts. So Regina, what are you listening to right now that you're loving? Well, I should say I have a heavy rotation at all times of podcasts. I'm obsessed. Um, So I'm regularly listening to things like anything conspiracy related, conspiracy theory related, uh, true crime, uh human interest stories also the news like the daily um i filter through a lot of the same podcasts that you listen to katie in terms of like glennon doyle and Brene brown and folks like that um Mm -hmm. and then i also am kind of a closeted joe rogan fan i love his podcast um and the other one that I really love is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. And I recently found a little gem of a series of episodes. I don't know if you've heard these, Katie, because I know you love that podcast too. But it's about Monica finding love. And yes, yes. I haven't heard any of them. And I, I want to. It's on my list. But I have such a small window of time to listen to podcasts because of my current life. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's definitely on my list. Okay, it's good. It's really like, um, I don't know what the word is. It's not intellectually stimulating, but it's very fun. And I've been doing with the pandemic, the winery where I work, we're not open to the public right now, but I've been doing a ton of home deliveries. And that's what I'm listening to when I make my deliveries. And it's making me giggle so much. And so I'm so happy I found it. Um, But if you're listening and you have a favorite true crime podcast I always am looking for new ones I'm talking things like Dirty John uh Dr. Death uh, the doll the Black Dahlia murders oh, that was the best and worst so here's um, the thing guys I can't handle true crime I can't I can't watch it um I have I'm very fragile and I have I may or may not have had several breakdowns very much caused by watching like a traumatic movie um so (laughs) but um, see i i think you're actually generally a braver stronger person than i am but you don't like this stuff and i'm kind of a baby but i love it and i think it's because it's far enough away in my compartmentalized brain that i can like point and laugh and look at it and go oh my god that's crazy and then move on oh no i immediately go into like thinking that that whatever horrible situation it is in that murder mystery or whatever will happen to me and my family oh god immediately it's not healthy (laughs) (laughs) but it's good to know about yourself 
Right. I, well, no, truly. Like, I mean, Stephen will need to, Stephen will be like, so, you know, I got a new suggestion for um, a show or a movie or whatever. And I will tell him you're going to need to preview it. And if, and, <laughs> and he know he knows my triggers. Um, and so he's like, okay, sure. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll watch the first episode. And he's like, nope, it's a no go for you. Nope, you are, you are not allowed to watch this. And I will happily thank him for his advice and not watch it. Okay. I'm that way with shows and movies too, but instead of watching my defense mechanism is just to immediately fall asleep. <laughs> I'm talking just podcasts here and maybe audiobooks. Right. I, I, but I truly, I don't even think I could do a real podcast. I think I'm just, I would, I would spend so much time in my head getting anxious about it. I mean, I, I have, it's almost a superpower, but it's, terrible okay so what are you listening to so because i can't handle anything traumatic um i should say i listen to cereal like i i'm you know i i could handle that i'm i'm not that much of a delicate flower but um my i am like just fully all in a brene brown obsessive phase right now we love I, Brene Brown as my cousin Aaron says that's my girl Brene Brown <laughs> yes I mean truly like I feel like so much of this podcast is just a love letter to Brene Brown um so um I I finished her book Daring Greatly and then immediately picked up The Gifts of Imperfection which she wrote before Daring Greatly but referenced so much during Daring Greatly that I knew I had to backtrack and read that so I'm reading that she also just started a podcast called Unlocking Us and truly it's started so it good. Like two or th- I mean, really two or three weeks ago. I mean, she From started- her closet or her son's right. closet. I know. And so I was like, if Brene is sitting in the closet recording a podcast, we can do it. Totally. Um, so um, honestly, so much of what she is saying on her podcast and – and what's also in her books. But the thing about her podcast is because her podcast is happening right now in the midst of this global pandemic shitstorm, um, I am finding so much enlightenment and solace and comfort and reassurance from that, that I'm sure it was clearly not a part of Brene's plan to start a podcast amidst a global pandemic and I'm sure it threw a lot of uh wrenches for people she was going to interview and and all that but as a selfish listener I am so grateful that this is exactly when she started this podcast so you know why I love her too it's because her hot takes and her advice are data-based because she's an anthropologist and a sociologist yes and it's not like she's preaching to you about how you should be because it feels good it's like this is what the data shows us about guilt and shame and x and y and z and this is why you're feeling that way and this is how you can redirect it or accept it and it's not just like self-help mumbo jumbo it's actual data-based exactly theory i also um, I find myself like rewinding her podcast over and over again, not because I missed it, but because I'm like, there was so much good content in that 10 seconds. I need to hear it at least three more times. Yeah. And she's and- good too on social media and on her website. Cause she'll put out like little 
excerpts or quotes that she says that are really profound. Yes. And um, so I, as we are just total girl fanning over Brittany Brown, again, um, it, please go check out her podcast. Um, I need to give her credit for, again, any, any nugget of wisdom that you get from this probably comes from her. Um, but I, I ah, think, give yourself a little more credit. Well, I'm smart enough to listen to smarter people. I'll say that. <laughs> so I think it's important for us to wrap up the episode with a few things, you know, that aren't necessarily related to our introduction, but not that, again, we're going to always be referencing current events, but this is, I feel, feel like more than a current event. It's a tsunami um, with, COVID-19 and the quarantine that we're in right now I have at this point I've been quarantined for I think almost four weeks and um, I I'm not even going to the grocery store I am on an immunosuppressant drug so my husband has me on full lockdown and thank god I've been able to go for walks Um, and thank god for podcasts and lots of books that I can read. And basically, I think it now is a good time to pass on little nuggets that I have found incredibly helpful right now. Again, not taking credit for really any of these, but just uh, passing on some helpful, I don't want to say tips, that makes it sound oversimplified. But um, wisdom. Tools. What's that? Tools. Tools. Exactly. Tools that I am finding very helpful. One of the things I learned from my girl, Brene, is that in a crisis, there are over-functioners and under-functioners, and I am a hundred percent an over-functioner. I go into go mode and I want to start fixing everything. And if I can't fix everything, then I'll learn everything I can about it. And that is how I cope. And so currently my overfunction is to read a lot and listen to a lot of people reassure me that everything's going to be fine. So I think it's important to acknowledge as we're doing this podcast that we are getting so much joy of and that we hope that so many other people can get joy from is that a lot of people are really suffering right now. And I, both of us, I think, are very empathetic people by nature. And so I tend to go into almost overdrive at this point when so many people around me, my loved ones, my friends, my family are going through hell right now. Um, I have, we both, we have friends that are working from home while also having to raise children. And we have friends with canceled or delayed weddings and people unable to attend their own grandparents' funeral. Um, we have, we each have grandparents in nursing homes where patients are testing positive for COVID-19. We have very close friends and family that have in a, a moment become unemployed when that never seemed to be a concern before. And to top it all off, we can't be with each other right now. We can't hug each other. And that used to be like the one consistent or and even only thing we could do was just show up 
and hug and, you know, cry on each other's shoulders. And we can't do that except virtually right now. And so we're lacking a lot of like physical connection. Um, and I think one of the things that Regina, both you and I are guilty of doing is, um, ranking suffering. Yeah. I'm in triage mode of who's in the worst pile of shit. Yeah. And they, they get the bulk of my empathy, which is a really terrible (laughs) way to look at things. I know. And that's, so this is a direct lesson from Brene that comparative suffering is a concept that I didn't even think about until I both read about it and really heard about it because one of her, one of her latest podcast episodes is truly on comparative suffering. So the idea is that your empathy is not a pizza pie. It's not like you can give eight slices to the ER doctors and nurses and first responders who are literally putting their health and their life on the line every day. And then you only have four slices left for everyone else. So, you know, your friends better rank high enough on the suffering scale if they want your empathy. And that's just not, that's a farce. It's not, that's not how empathy works. It's a trap. Yes. It's a trap. You can have empathy for everyone and you should have empathy for everyone. And you should absolutely save empathy for yourself, even if, because I know a lot of people right now qualify their level of suffering, especially a lot of people do it with me um, whenever they're complaining about any side of parenting that isn't their favorite. They're like, oh, well, I, I don't have it as bad as you. You have four. And I, I heard something on, um, on one of Brene's podcasts. She interviewed a grief specialist, and his name is escaping me right now, but just go to her podcast and you'll find him there. I think she only has about four episodes right now out. And he said that the biggest loss is your loss. Like, it doesn't matter if, like you, you don't have to rank it. So the biggest stressor in your life is your stressor. And that's okay. You don't need to feel like you can't complain to a mother of four because you only have three kids. Like that's, yeah. not, that's not how it works. Um, I can empathize with someone who has a child or no children. Like I, I'm, I'm a developed enough human uh, to do that. And basically basically toss out the suffering scale. It doesn't help anybody to rank suffering. Um, It just, like, there's no purpose behind adding a qualifying factor for someone to earn your empathy. Yeah. Like, just the fact that they're your friend or your loved one, family member, is enough. Yeah. And, And that's it. That's it. You can have empathy towards the person whose wedding got postponed and still have empathy left over for the person who just had to bury their grandparent. Um, Right. So that was really, it was really helpful for me to have that realization because I was doing a lot of ranking. Oh yeah. I had charts and bar graphs. Yep. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. this exact thing came through my social media from Brene Brown and it's a beautiful little infograph and the top says love is the last thing we need to ration right now. It's true. There's a lot right now. Love is not um, on the table. (laughs) Yes. It's something I'm, I'm definitely working on and focusing on. So 
I think on that note, being saving empathy for yourself and being kind to yourself and acknowledging that you and everyone around you is doing the best they can. This is also from Brene. If you function under the assumption that most of us are doing the best we can, and that might be different from how you are handling it and people handle stress and grief and crisis differently. For example, as I referenced, I overfunction. So I read all the books and I listen to all the podcasts and I start my own podcast in a crisis <laughs> because I have to do all of the things to help myself feel more in control in a totally uncontrollable situation. Someone who goes into underfunctioning mode or just wants to sit on the couch under a blanket and binge watch Tiger King is also handling it their way and their way is not wrong. It, oh, it's me. I mean, I, I also binge watch <laughs> Tiger King. Like, I, I mean, who hasn't at this point? No, it's interesting because I hadn't thought about that uh, under-functioner, over-functioner. I think I, 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 my instinct is to function enough so that the things that I'm responsible for get done so that people don't have a reason to not like me because a topic for another podcast is that my biggest fear in life is people not liking me, which is why this podcast is so scary. Anyway, carry on. I mean, I, okay. Several thoughts. First of all, uh, yes, I don't mean, I don't mean to imply that there are exclusively overfunctioners and underfunctioners, but that those are two ways. That, then there are people who supposedly handle this with a lot of grace and don't go into over-functioning or under-functioning and they just continue to function like a human and they probably also process their feelings healthy in a healthy way and have a lot more stability in their life than me um grown-ups man grown-ups I know um (laughs) and when I say stability I mean like you know self-made stability like they they make sure yeah make sure that their life is stable and I tend to throw myself into crisis mode whether there is a crisis or not um some might call that dramatic but um I call it prepared (laughs) so I I also need to say that as I'm bestowing all of this advice upon the masses again the 13 people plus my mom listening to this that I am naturally an incredibly judgmental person. Like, I just need to put that out. My instinct, my instinct is to judge. Is you. to judge truly. And I am I, am I know actively <laughs> fighting that all the time because I want to not be a judgmental person and I'm just working on ways to stop judging because it doesn't ha- I know it's not helpful. I know it's not. And yet it is my number one instinct if someone is doing something different from me. And it completely comes out of insecurity. Because if I, if you're doing something different from me and I can judge it and decide in my mind, well, I'm doing it right. Don't worry. Don't worry, Katie. You've got it. You're doing this parenting thing right. And it doesn't have to be that way. It can just be different and not right or wrong. So if someone is handling this crisis very differently from you, it doesn't need to be right or wrong. It's just different. I say that as I also own the fact that I very much was glaring at the people still gathering 
uh, two weeks ago at the playground across the street from my house. So it's a constant struggle for me. But I think it's helpful. Yeah. So also, you're probably getting lots of sounds from the three-month-old. It's past his bedtime. Um, Katie, thanks for being so open about your own challenges during this time. It's been really cool as your friend to see you learn this about yourself and develop as a person. Um, I think we can all work on being a little less judgmental. My goal this week is to work on remembering that love and empathy are limitless. And as you said, that means being empathetic towards yourself too. That whole put your oxygen mask on first so you can save others idea. So let's work on it this week. Uh, Well, this podcast is going to turn into a pumpkin. If you have listened for this long, we thank you. Seriously. Uh, Please follow us on Instagram at Fruits of Our Labor Podcast. Send an email to fruitsofourlaborpod at gmail.com or visit us at fruitsofourlabor.squarespace.com. We really want to hear your comments, your questions, episode ideas, any feedback you have. Unless it's negative. I'm kidding. No, we want that too. I know. We're, we're constructive. Growing. It's we're constructive. Growing as people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, thank you all so much for listening. Please share, uh, follow, like, subscribe. We'll be forever grateful. You'll be our best friend. That's why we stand in a horseshoe. Bye. Bye. <laughs>